<laughs> we wanted to serve with postmodern people in the context of Europe. And so we had our eyes placed on Spain. Spanish is my first language, so I thought that to me it was easy. I go to Spain and we serve there. But God changed the plans. God had been calling me to serve him as a missionary. Because when I was 10 years old, another missionary was praying for me. And he prayed a really simple prayer. He said, God wants you to do something for him. But what was happening in me in that moment, it felt like God was downloading a sense of purpose and a, a sense of destiny in my mind, in my heart. From that moment on, I knew I need to do something for God, but I didn't know what that was. So for 15 years, I was asking God, what do you want me to do? And then I met Melanie. I was determined to stay in the U.S. I got comfortable. The problem is that she also has a missionary call. She said, I don't think God is calling me to stay here. We need to leave the U.S. God is calling me to be a missionary too. So I accepted that idea. I'm going to the mission field. That's clear to me. I didn't know where I was going to go. I felt I had to be in Spain. And so it was a real struggle in my heart. Knowing that God was speaking to me, telling me, go to Germany, and just resisting. I don't even know why I was resisting that. I said, if you want me to go to Germany, you have to give me love for Germans. And I knew this is not going to happen. And as I'm praying, I had a vision. Two human hands, huge hands, coming down from heaven with a package. And God said to me, do you want love for Germans? Uh, here, take it. So I received the package, and I can tell you that God gave me love for Germans. So I came to Germany somehow loving Germans, not knowing the culture, not knowing them, but just, just having this disposition to get to know them, to be with them, and to engage them, to be friends with them that I didn't have before. And so I came to the field with this freedom in my heart, ready to do what God wanted me to do. He's making it easy for us to say, no, I have to stay here. <laughs> it doesn't matter what we face. So, yeah, we're here. This is what he wants us to do. <clears throat> Those Germans are hard to love. Uh... Just kidding. <laughs> I'm mostly German, so I'm conflicted inside now. Uh, why don't you stand with us? And we're going to lift up our voices to do some singing this morning. Uh, sorry, I set the tempo wrong. Yeah. 
Lord God, thanks for being our defender, our redeemer, our savior, our friend, our counselor, our helper in time of need. Thank you for being the one who sends us the spirit. And we pray that we would worship in spirit and truth today. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, welcome everybody to Common Ground Church. Good to have you here. Uh, wonderful to join you together as we worship our Lord and Savior this morning here. Um, my name is Nick, and I have the joy of serving alongside with Evan up here. And hopefully, if I haven't met you, I'll get a chance to do that sometime. Um, we just want to welcome you and say, get comfortable and enjoy yourself, uh, because you're going to get uncomfortable after a little bit. Because, yeah, whenever you go to God's Word, He's going to kind of nudge us a little bit. But uh, it will be good. It'll be a good discomfort. Uh, we just want you to know that we're providing something for you now. Uh, we have some uh, kind of devotional or discipleship guides. Uh, I have a hard copy in my hand here. We also will have them on our website. And I think you can see a picture of our website and what that kind of looks like. If you just go to commongroundcma.org and go to the resources tab and look for weekly devotionals, uh, you will get a great little tool that will help you to explore the sermon that you're going to hear a little bit deeper. And we're going to provide that weekly now. So a chance for you to get a little deeper into God's Word, but most importantly, to kind of pick up and start to apply what we're hearing and what we're learning about so that life transformation begins to occur. Uh, my wife and I practiced this one. Holy cow, did we have a great time uh, drinking coffee and talking about God's Word and things like that. So we're, we're hoping you will too. Um, also, you'll notice that uh, we've started a thing. We have a greeting team now because the theater has this great kiosk out in the lobby. We thought, well, let's put it to use. But uh, Mark and Carol, who are kind of heading up our greeting team, were not here today. Were you disappointed to not, you know, why, do you feel a little less welcome? Because of, So what that means is we need some help. And uh, it's not just Mark and Carol doing all the greeting, but they'll be leading it. And if you'd like to just jump in there and be able to say, hey, welcome to Common Ground, maybe answer some questions, point to where the bathrooms are, direct them to where the food is, because we don't want people missing that. Um, please come and see Evan or myself, and we'll be glad to hook you up uh, with that. We also want you to know that the ministry showered uh, with hope is still in the process of building up the trailer to uh, make that work. This trailer will provide on-site uh, shower facilities for our homeless community. And Ted Hayward's kind of been leading the charge on that. And the community, along with Common Ground, has been uh, joining in and helping with that. So this Wednesday at 6.30 p.m., uh, we're going to have a work night on that where we're clearing the walls, basically, so that electrical can then be put in. Uh, and then last week, uh, Chris uh, introduced us to a thing called F3, which is a kind of a fitness regimen for, uh, for men. And I've already forgotten what F3 stands for. I think it's something like um, fitness, um, fellowship, uh, fireworks. Uh, <laughs> but uh, 5.30 on Monday, Wednesdays, and Fridays, did I get that right? Um, they gather down at the Berlin Wall down by the Civic Center, and, uh, and uh, they have a little time together, and it's also not just fitness, but it's time of fellowship and growing in faith together as, as men. So I want to encourage you to do that, and they also do it on Saturdays on 6 o'clock. And then we have a work day coming up for our beloved camp, Halawasa, 
and it will be on the 4th of July weekend. We want you to know that. Um, I'm sure that they're going to lure us down there with like food and things like that and maybe their own fireworks. No, they can't do that. It's in the hills. Uh, <laughs> but uh, we want people to come down and give us one last shot at getting that camp ready to go for the camping season because it's coming up really, really quick and a whole bunch of kids are going to come there and have uh, the time of their lives and learn about Jesus while they're there. Uh, but to help us know a little bit more about Camp Palawasa, I'm going to invite Zachary Crossman to come up here. Would you please welcome Zach? Yeah, Try it again. Test, test. There you go. All right, Zach, welcome. Hey, uh, now I've had the privilege of working at, at Halawasa and knowing Zach since he was a... A wee bear, uh, you know, uh, it, when the beard was only half an inch long and he was four <laughs> years old or something like that. Uh, anyway, um, uh, Zach has some history with this camp, so I thought I'd be good to have him come up here and share a little bit with us. Um, so, Zach, maybe uh, you could just tell us a little bit. How did you get involved with Camp Palawasa? Uh My parents made me go. <laughs> now, don't get me wrong, despite my general introversion. I really enjoyed it. I loved it, and I was determined to keep going throughout elementary, middle school, and high school. All right. So, yeah, like I said, I got to see uh, Zach kind of grow up uh, while he came to camp, and, uh, and one of the most exciting things for me was to see Zach as a camper um, get involved on staff. Uh, I still remember the year when I asked if you'd be my co-director, and then when you showed up, I said, okay, you're going to direct, and I'm just going to be here to help you if you ever need anything. And, yeah, he, he, I think he doesn't hate me as much as he used to, but uh, did a great job, did a fantastic job. Uh, so my other question, Zach, is why do you think that Camp Halawasa matters? You got five minutes? <laughs> yeah. Go ahead. All right. Um, why does Camp Palawasa matter? Well, it's a it's it's a tough world out there. Um, it's hard to pray without ceasing, to be in the Word of God, to uh, have the courage to let your light shine. Uh, and I think more and more kids nowadays have to struggle with things like anxiety, depression, loneliness, abusive family members, um, even thoughts of suicide. And uh, at Camp Helawasa is, first and foremost, a relationship-based camp. For some of these kids, this will be the first time that they make Christian relationships and friendships that can last them through middle school, high school, college. This might be the first time that they have someone that they see as a mentor that they can ask tough questions to. And uh, most importantly, maybe this is the first time that they get to know their Lord and Savior. And uh, there's lots of ways you can get involved with Camp Palawasa. You could uh, send your kids. <laughs> you could encourage your friends to send their kids. Or you could get involved with one of the work days. Uh, sometimes it doesn't seem like much to clean a floor or move rocks from one field to a different field. <laughs> uh, but when you use your gifts or abilities uh, to serve the Lord, uh, that's praiseworthy. Uh, you could help financially. Uh, it costs money to run camp. You have insurance, utilities, all the food that it takes to feed all the kids. Um, you could sponsor a kid. 
so that they have the opportunity to go to a Bible camp that maybe they never would have. Camp Elwasa never sends anybody away for financial reasons. Uh, and lastly, and maybe most importantly, is uh, you could volunteer to help with one of the weeks with being a counselor, an activities director, worship leader, uh, a cook. Uh, and I know just the very mentioning of that, some of you already are conflicted in your heart. Uh, something that you know you should be doing, but you already have valid concerns of work, school, important responsibilities. But um, when you make the conscious decision to be a disciple, things like being in the Word of God become easier. Praying without ceasing become easier. Having the courage to let your light shine become easier. Uh, the hard part is stepping out of your comfort and making the decision to be a fisher of men. That's true. That is so true. And camp provides that opportunity to say, hey, I can try that. I, I can at least try that. And you'll find out, at least this is what I found out, not growing up in a, with a Christian camp opportunity, going as an adult to serve has been some of the best times of my life. I can, I can say that. And one of the things over 30, 40 years of doing that is uh, the friendships that you build in a week's time. So it's not just the kids that have a great week at camp, uh, but uh, those who come and serve have a great week too. So thank you, Zach. Uh, appreciate you coming up here, bringing your introverted self up. You did a good job, <laughs> didn't you? Yeah. Thanks. All right. And if you'd like more information about Camp Halawasa, how to be involved, things like that, or you're just curious about it, that you can talk to, well, pretty much anybody almost over there in those back few rows uh, because they've all been on staff or they've been campers or directors or things like that. Yeah, pretty much 100% all across the board. Those, those Well, almost. All right. Uh, so anyway, you, there's people that can help you out and give you information on that. Okay, so if you want to know more about what's going on at Common Ground and some of the things that we're affiliated with here and supporting and encouraging and things like that, you can go to our website, commongroundcma.org, and you can go to updates and events and uh, find out a whole lot more, plus find, you know, a, a bank of old sermons and things to go back and to review and, and do that sort of thing. And you will also find our new devotional study guides that will be available every week for you. I'll have hard copies back at the Welcome Center uh, after church, all right? At this point, this is where we kind of get up and get out of our seats, stretch a little bit, and we continue in worship by greeting one another and saying hello and just saying hi or maybe making a new friend, going and saying hello to somebody that we have not yet met. So on your feet and go ahead and take a moment to do that.
keep me safe, God. For in you I take refuge. I say to you, Lord, you are my God, and apart from you I have nothing. As for the saints who are in this land and the glorious ones, to whom is all my delight, the sorrows of those will increase who run after other gods. I will not pour out their worship offerings or take up their names on my lips. Lord, you have assigned me my portion and my cup. The boundary lines you have fallen for me are in pleasant places. Surely I have a delightful inheritance, God. I will praise you, Lord. You counsel me. Even at night, my heart instructs me. I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body will also rest secure because you will not abandon me to the grave. Nor will you let your holy unseat decay. You have made known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence and with eternal pleasures at your right hand. Lord, just thank you for being our protectors in times of stress and strife. God, thank you for providing for us um, an inheritance worth more than its weight in gold in your kingdom. Um, God, I just pray that as you have given your son's life uh, for me, I can continue to give my life back to you, God. Thank you that all for all that you've provided for us, Lord. In Jesus' name. Amen. You guys can have a seat if you'd like. Uh, we're going to move into a time of offering. There are a few different ways you can give um, that are shown up on the screen here if you want to give in person. There's a box in the back. Um, if you don't want to give in person, there's a website that you can go to. You can scan the QR code if you're super fancy. Um, you can also trust us and text us your information. That's available, too. Um, and, yeah, so just uh, freely pray and ask God how you can give back to your community and your church um, today.
welcome you here right now. May your spirit dwell among us and in us. God, until the day of your return to this earth to bring us to the next, give us your spirit, God. Show us your heart and your care for people unreached the sinners God I give I give my whole self over to you as offering holy and pleasing Lord and I pray that you use me until the day that you return or until the day that I'm returned to the ground Lord Use me to reach the people that have been unreached. Use me to touch the hearts of those sitting in pews, God. Use me to show love to strangers on the street. I don't care. Whatever you need, God, I'm here. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Thank you, team. Thank you, team, for leading in that. I'm also going to take your chair after I go from behind you here, Brian, but thank you guys for leading in worship there. It's at this time that we enter in to a time of prayer, um, where during our worship together, uh, we set aside time. Hey, you're not leaving now, Missy. Get back up here. Um, During this time, uh, we set aside time for prayer so that we can be authentic with one another, um, to share with one another the things that we um, are asking God to do, um, the things that we're praising God for, um, and so how we can lift one another up in prayer. And so usually we will, you know, take open floor, pass the mic around and take requests, take praises. Um, And sometimes we get to do things special, like last week, um, we welcomed in a few people to membership as they became official members of the church. And today, um, we kind of have to do the opposite. So it's a bittersweet, beautiful moment. Um, but Winter Faltinski here is going to be moving this week, and so we get to commission her as a church and say goodbye to someone who has been a valuable member of this family for a long time. And so we're just going to get a chance to kind of hear what is next for this one here and how it is that we can pray for her. But first, I would just like to hear a bit of Winter. How long have you gone to Common Ground? have been um, at Common Ground since it was called Common Ground. Before, right? And before. So total 10 years, uh, which is a really long time. That's the longest that I've ever been in one place for my whole life. So how old were you then, 10 years ago? uh, 12. 11 years old. 11, actually. I'm not 22. What? (laughs) (laughs) Math. (laughs) So some of you have watched her grow up um, in a lot of ways. Now, where are you going then? Mm. I am going to Salem, Oregon, which is uh, where been there. our pastors been are there. from. Been, been there, done that. Um, and I will be going to uh, RTI, which is called uh, Reach Training Institute, um, a missions training school education thing. It's a Bible college. Yeah. Bible college. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so you have sensed 
a call to ministry. Um, you've led us in worship, and you've played in other significant roles all around this place. Um, why is it that you're choosing to go to Salem to RTI? Um, well, I didn't have much choice, truly. It was more uh, God being like, hey, you should, not should, you need to do this. It's like, okay, yes, I will. Um, I'll, I'll give the briefest story I possibly can. Um, over the course of the last three years, uh, being having graduated high school, starting college, trying to figure out what I'm doing, um, I've not figured that out. Uh, I have switched between four different majors in three years, um, spent and wasted a lot of money and time to present uh, nothing. <laughs> and this last semester, beginning of the year, January, February, um, the feeling of just dread of like, okay, I am again at a spot where I don't like what I'm doing and I feel lost and like I don't know what my purpose here is right now to be is my purpose just to continue doing school forever and never get a degree and have like six half degrees is that the point um so struggling and wrestling with that we went on our trip to Mexico um and while there are um pastor's retreat that we did um struck a chord in me particularly their style of worship and praise to God, um, which is in a manner of such need and desperation for the Lord and for him to provide. Um, and if you want to know more about that, you can listen to when we talked about it uh, when we came back. Um, but that was, that was something that I sat there watching and was like, wow, I have been trying to replicate this exact feeling here um, for as long as I've been doing worship um, and not only here but like in youth group in high school trying to replicate okay how do I get people to open up and need God um, and the truth of the matter is I don't know how to do that um, and I came back and was like that sucks <laughs> I want to do this thing and I don't know how to do it uh, I guess I'll just never do it um, but I came back home to a packet for this school called RTI in my mailbox. I was like, that's interesting. Uh, I put it on the coffee table and never looked at it. Uh, and over the course of the preceding month, um, just pokes from the spirit and sign after sign from God of like, you have very little holding you here. Yes, there's friends, but they're leaving in the next few years. Yes, there's your job, but how much more can you do as a barista? Yes, there's your family, but your family has never been very permanent in one place for your whole life. So that is absurd to think that they're going to stay here forever. Um, so after all of these messages determined, like, okay, this is what I need to do. So. That's awesome. And we would all, I think, having seen you grow and seen that your Lord use you, we would all just affirm the calling that he's placed on your life, calling to ministry. Um, we have all benefited greatly from your ministry here. Okay, so when does school start? September <laughs> 5th, 2nd, 3rd, 5th. 
September 5th, 2nd, and 3rd. Awesome. <laughs> Here's the deal. There's Pray for her on that day, <laughs> on all three of those days. They have, like, a freshman retreat, and then they have orientation, and then they have the first days. But, okay. like, truly it starts on the 25th okay. with this retreat. But classes 25th start. 25th of September. September. But you're leaving this the week? The 25th of August. Yeah. Not so oh, August. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Better be there a month early. Okay. So leading up to that, how can we pray for you? How can we as Common Ground continue to support you? Um, just praying for my ears and eyes to be open to God's direction in my life, um, but also to be accepting of um, spiritual healing that I might not realize that I need. I do realize I need it, but... <laughs> um, and, and pray for relationships that I'm building with people, um, that I can be a light and someone to lift them up in, in spirit and not a hindrance. Mm. So. Yeah. We can pray for that. Well, now as you are faced here with the church family that has very much raised you over the last 10 years, do you have any last words that you'd like to say to these people? Yes, I was given these questions to prepare, and then I didn't, so. <laughs> um, <laughs> look at that proud, proud dad over there laughing his face off. This She's great. so honest. <laughs> I wish I was more honest like that. Take, it, take these words with a grain of salt is what I'm saying. Um, as I have been in this church and growing up in it, but also witnessing the people that have come in and out, and the ministries that have come in and out, um, and the buildings that they've changed. Um, I would ask Common Ground to not lose their heart for the community, for the people that are outside of this building. Uh, in fact, the people that are inside of this building are here strictly to bring more people in to the family of God. That's why, that's why we're here. Um, so the, that is something that I've... I've loved a lot about Common Ground um, and that I see in Common Ground and I just pray that it continues to grow and not become stagnant. So that is that is my words to Common Ground. That's beautiful. Thank you for that one, Tristan. Well, thank you. And we're going to be praying for you. We're really excited for you. Again, we will all just affirm on the giftings that God has placed in your life. You are someone who is very passionate, very gifted motivated with a deep desire to serve God and to see the lost come to faith in Christ. And so I just can't be more excited to consider what you could look like with training. Um, because you are already dangerous in ministry, so to speak. Um, but I think to be able to infuse you um, just with biblical knowledge, with mentorship, man, I just can't wait to see what God is going to do through you. Um, and having lived in Salem from the time I was four years old until 26, think they can take good care of you. And so I'm also just praying for all of those people over there as they receive you, um, for the relationships that will be formed, um, for all these people to pour into you. And really excited for this next season. Um, and also, you better come back a few times. Like, we know you have a summer break, so we'll hope to see you a few times I've, as well. Yeah, I have to come back. It, yeah. It's only right. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. Well, at this time, um, we're going to commission Winter. So if you would go ahead and bow your heads, and if you'd feel comfortable, um, please extend a hand. Um, as we extend a hand, it's a physical symbol of the spiritual reality that we are sending her out with our blessing, with our affirmation.
as we see her move off to Oregon and all that God has for her there. So would you go ahead and bow your heads and pray with me? So Father God, we just thank you for this journey that winter has been on. Um, as we look back on the last 10 years, even um, just the last 21, as you have been with her there, um, we just praise you for your hand in each and every moment. Um, so many moments um, are good and we just see your work in it. So many are confusing. Um, but yet, God, as she has shared, you have even used those moments to recalibrate her heart and mind to be more on you. And so we praise you for that, that you are the God who uses every circumstance of her life um, to accomplish your will. And so now as winter goes, we just pray safety over her, over her heart and mind. As she travels to this new place, um, with a new place to live, new friends, new church community, new job, all of this, God. Um, we just see so many opportunities um, for the enemy to try to attack her. And so we just thank you for being a God who has all authority. And we just pray that you continue to remind her of your strength and your power and your protection over her life. And as she goes... We just pray for the people that will be receiving her. And would they just receive her with open arms, just as she received so many people here. God, we just reflect on when we moved to Rapid City and Winter was one of the first people who met with us and welcomed us in with open arms. We just thank you for that gifting that she has. God, you have made her a fisher of men. And would you continue to equip her and empower her with that? God, we just thank you um, for the worship that she has led us in. Um, she has, in so many cases, just guided us, led us, to your feet, to your throne. And we just praise you for using her in this church in that way. And we know that as you continue to equip her and grow her, that you just have plans to continue to use her even in mightier ways. And so we praise you that we get to be a part of her story here. And we praise you for the deep friendships and the relationships that are here in this room that will last a lifetime. And so would you equip us as common ground as she leaves um, to continue to support her in prayer to continue to support her uh, when she needs a friend from back in Rapid to reach out. Uh, would you put her on our hearts and minds over the next few months, over the next few years? Would you continue to use us to equip her and send her off? And so God, we have big expectations for what you're going to do in her. I just ask that your Holy Spirit would empower her in new and fresh ways uh, to do the ministry that you've called her to do. Would you give her eyes to see what it is that you're calling her to? give her the motivation and the courage to follow through on it. So God, we just thank you for winter. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. Well, thank you, winter. Now the board has also written some blessings and some cards for you. And so read those. We pray that they could be an encouragement for you as you're out in that direction. Thank you. <laughs> That's okay. Well, thank you, winter. You can go ahead. try to put your chairs back in the same spots here. All right, you guys. Well, as we approach God's word here, uh, a reminder that we are currently in the Sermon on the Mount, which are some of Jesus's most famous teachings. Uh, if you are familiar with anything that Jesus said, it's likely that it probably came from the Sermon on the Mount. And these are some of his most memorable teachings, some of the things that we first think of when we think of the things that Jesus said. And some of those are so beautiful and so easy, but we also warned you at the start of this series about a month ago that Jesus also is going to get into our business in the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus goes to some of the uncomfortable topics. Jesus goes to some of the topics that are really important and really matter in our life because he wants to see us truly thriving in the way that he has called us to live. And he has announced that his kingdom has come near and that the ways 
of mankind's kingdom, the way of everyone just doing, um, as it says in the book of Judges, everyone did as they felt they should, and it ended just in chaos and pain. Jesus comes and he says, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. And he gives us essentially his instructions for how it is that we're to live. Um, and so some of these topics, they get kind of difficult, right? A few weeks ago, Nick walked us through Jesus's teachings on anger, and hatred, and murder. Um, and then last week, Joey did a great job of walking us through what is um, just a very difficult topic of lust, of sexuality. And he shared with us very vulnerable parts of his testimony and how God has used that. And today, um, we are going to be looking at the very difficult topic in Matthew chapter 5, uh, verses 31 and 32, the topic of divorce, the topic of marriage. Um, and the reason that this is such a difficult topic is because, obviously, for some of us in this room, this is a very sensitive, this is a very painful topic. For some of us in this room, this has intense emotions attached. This has stories attached to it. And then for some of us in this room, it's just general knowledge or general wisdom. And so that's kind of one of the challenges is that tension that we face here. And one of the main challenges with this tension really is that, of course, when it comes to these sort of topics, um, the pain is always in the details. The pain is always in the specifics. And each and every story has very specific details and circumstances. And we can't cover each and every one of those specifics in one talk. And so really my hope here today um, is to kind of try to give us the big picture of what Jesus is teaching on here. The big picture of his vision for marriage, singleness, for divorce. But we won't be able to cover every single story. Um, and honestly, most of those conversations of the specifics and of what about this, what about that, are best handled more in a conversation anyway than just kind of a big preaching gathering with all of us. And so if there is a specific situation that you'd like to discuss, please come up and talk to myself, come up and talk to Nick. Justin would love to talk to you as well. He's one of the elders here. Um, come talk to us about these specifics. But here, we're going to be looking at the big picture of what Jesus taught here. Um, we're going to try to kind of unpack the text itself and hopefully see how that can impact it. Um, the thing is, we only have two verses here that Jesus teaches on. Just two little verses. But thankfully, Jesus also kind of expands on this idea in Matthew chapter 19. And so we're going to do Matthew 5, 31 through 32, and Matthew 19, and we're going to kind of put them together and be able to understand Jesus' instruction here, Jesus' big picture here. And so we're going to understand and try to teach through those texts, and then I just want to take a big step back. Um, as we look at Jesus' instructions here, I just want to take a big step back and then apply this teaching to really three groups. We're going to apply and see what exactly this means for us practically, um, for those of us who are single, unmarried, for those of us who are married, and for those of us who are divorced. And we're going to take a big step back and see what exactly that means. And so first, let's look at what Jesus has to say about it. And so if you find your way to Matthew chapter 5, I will be in verse 31, and we'll read through verse 32 here. So this is Jesus teaching in the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew 5, 31. It has been said, anyone who divorces his wife must give her a certificate of divorce. But I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife except for sexual immorality makes her the victim of adultery. And anyone who marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Okay. Um, so what Jesus has been doing throughout the Sermon on the Mount 
um, is often he has been quoting Old Testament passages or kind of loosely teaching on these Old Testament passages. And he teaches on kind of either what it said or what the common understanding of the day was. And then he'll insert this little phrase, but I tell you, in order to kind of clarify or to preach on it or to unpack what it is supposed to mean, what it really means, or just to expand on exactly what that means. And so here, when Jesus says, it has been said, um, he's loosely quoting from Deuteronomy 24 here. Um, And in Deuteronomy chapter 24, Moses, he was actually talking about a very specific situation. And Moses had just said, kind of in passing, um, it actually wasn't really even the point of the chapter, if you ask me, but he kind of said in passing that if a man wanted to divorce his wife, he can do so for some indecency, is what it said in Deuteronomy 24. Some indecency was the criteria there. Um, And in Hebrew, that word was really vague. And so Moses, he just gives this little caveat. If you wanted to do it, you could do it um, based on this. And he kind of kept moving. Well, in Judaism, um, in the first century, when Jesus was teaching, which is now 1,500 years after Moses had said that in Deuteronomy 24, that brief little caveat had actually become a central point and an entire doctrine, an entire picture of their view of divorce. They had kind of taken that one word, indecency, and they ran with it. And so often, um, the teachers in that day, they would read the Old Testament, you know, they would come across a word that maybe was vague or that they didn't understand, and then they would try to expand on it and explain what this meant practically. Um, And when it comes to this topic, um, they recorded a lot in this document called the Mishnah. It was kind of an evolving document, but it was an official kind of guide for how to follow God for them at that point. And they really expanded on what this word indecency meant and on some of the grounds for divorce and on their practice of divorce. And we'll get to that in a second. But before we get there, we're going to look at Matthew 19 now. So find your way over to Matthew 19, just a few more pages, because Jesus is also teaching here just a few chapters later. And in Matthew chapter 19... Jesus here is talking to a group of Pharisees, a group of people who were teaching from that Mishnah, from that evolving document. And they ask him, in verse 3 there of Matthew 19, they asked, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason? So Jesus essentially kind of gave them the same exact reason that he gave them in Matthew 5. Um, And he basically said, like, okay, here are your exceptions. And when he said this, they disagreed with him. And then in verse 7, They say this. They asked, why then, they asked, did Moses command a man to give his wife a certificate of divorce and send her away? Which is actually not at all what Moses was saying, if you go back and look at it. Um, But they, at this point, they have twisted the text so that it supports what they want to do at this point. They've twisted it, and this scenario that Moses was talking about, now they have really expanded it, and they've created an entire doctrine just on this one little area, an entire doctrine that says, as they press Jesus, cannot a man leave his wife for any reason, as long as he gives her a certificate of divorce, right? That's where they were at here. And Jesus replied to that in verse 8. He says, Moses permitted you to divorce your wives because your hearts were hard. But it was not this way from the beginning. I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality, and marries another woman, commits adultery. So Jesus, he says that this was given because of your hard hearts. Essentially saying, because you guys were stubborn and doing what you wanted to do anyway. Right? And so Moses says, okay, listen, his caveat that he gave there was a recognition that this was happening rampantly. 
men were just leaving their wives left and right. They were just walking away from these women. And it creates a very dangerous situation for these women at the time. Okay? 1,500 years before Jesus, um, a single woman, because of what was going on in the culture and in the world, would have had a very difficult time on their own. And these men were just leaving them, walking away, leaving these women in very dangerous, very difficult circumstances. And Moses essentially was trying to rein that in, He's, which is a really kind of interesting way that God works in this sense, um, that even though, you know, it says multiple times all throughout the Bible not to do this, and in Malachi 2.16, um, God even refers to divorce as an act of violence, um, but nonetheless, he says, listen, because of your hard hearts, I give you this rule. And it was happening a ton, so we need to at least protect the vulnerable in this case. And so Moses was trying to create these guardrails. God was leading him to create these guardrails to protect these people that this was happening to so often, causing this vulnerability and to curb this practice. And then by the time that Jesus came around, um, this had only become more rampant. It had kind of only gotten worse. Uh, divorce in the Jewish community in the first century was really, really common. Um, by the time of Jesus... There were actually so many different definitions of what that word indecency meant, so many different reasons that a man could leave his wife that the covenant of marriage was almost meaningless. And there were men who would just go from wife to wife to wife to wife to wife all the time. And so what happened is they took that word indecency from Deuteronomy 24, and they said, okay, that's broad. Let's define that. And they defined that in that book that we refer to called the Mishnah. And I kind of, I'm going to read a little list of their grounds for divorce. It's a bit long, but I think it really shows just how the culture was at that time. And so when we look at Jesus' teachings and we think, man, he was really strict. Why did he come down so hard on this? When we understand what was happening in the culture, when we understand the cultural context, I think you also would recognize Jesus needed to be strict and hard on these people. Jesus needed to swing the pendulum far in the other direction. Because this is what they were teaching as legitimate reasons for a man to leave his wife. So the Mishnah stated that a man could divorce his wife if she was barren, if she became a deaf mute, if she had epilepsy, tetanus, warts, or leprosy, if her husband considered her lazy, if she had a head that was wedge-shaped, turnip-shaped, or hammer-shaped, if her head was otherwise malformed, such as sunk in or flat in the back, If she had poor posture, or if she had thinning hair. If she had no eyebrows, only one eyebrow, or bushy eyebrows. If she had a pug nose. If she had eyes too high or too low, if she were cross-eyed, had no eyelashes, had eyes of two different colors, which that seems kind of cool. Watery eyes, eyes as big as a calf or small like a goose. If her nose were too big or too little, her ears too little or too floppy. If she had an overbite, an underbite, missing teeth, poor figure, swollen belly, a protruding navel, I don't know how that's her fault, oversized or damaged sexual organs, a dark complexion, bony ankles or knees, swollen feet, bow-legged, suffering from swelling of the big toe, but that's the only toe that matters. If her heel had protrusions, if the sole of her foot was as wide as that of a goose, I don't know why they hate the geese. They've got a thing about geese. Someone will have to look that up for me later. If she were ambidextrous, which seems like a really cool advantage, I think. Um, If she burned his supper, if she let food spoil, such as leaving cheese out for too long, if if he simply found someone who was prettier than her, 
That was her fault for indecency. This was what was taught. And if she was not offering sexual relations frequently enough, was also grounds for divorce, and the law specifically expressed appropriate expectations regarding this matter. The wife had to satisfy her husband every day if he had the time, twice a week if he were a day laborer, every 30 days if he were a camel driver, every six months if he were a sailor. I mean, guys, this got specific. And this, we chuckle and we laugh, but we can see how this could be a problem, right? And so now when we see how hard Jesus comes down on this, we recognize that he needed to, that there was a problem in the culture where leaders were writing this stuff down and teaching this as how it should be done. You would want to make some serious changes too, wouldn't you? This is a problem. And so Jesus comes down hard on this because these are the people he is speaking to. This is the culture he was working with. And so what's interesting about this that I really want you to notice in verse 31 as well is what Jesus says. Anyone who divorces his wife must give her a certificate of divorce, right? So just taking a step back, who has the power in this situation? The what? The husband, right? The husband. The men had all the power in this case. Actually, legally, a woman could not file for divorce at that time. The men had all the power. And culturally and maritally speaking, this is the way the culture was. And Jesus kind of flips that whole paradigm on its head in these two verses, doesn't he? In verse 32, he says, But I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality, makes her the victim of adultery. And anyone who marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Now, at first reading, and I know a lot of people have read this and thought that maybe in some cases, like, Jesus is in a way, like, blaming the woman um, or saying that she is going off and committing adultery. And kind of at first reading, it almost looks like that. But if we read this harder, and if we look carefully, we recognize that he's saying anyone who divorces his wife except for this makes her a victim of adultery. And because in this time, if the man were to want to be the one who would initiate this, send her off, and if a woman had to get remarried because of the way that the culture was, in order to be safe socially, economically, and all of that, she had to get married, remarried in order to survive, but yet these men were just kicking them out for illegitimate reasons. Jesus is essentially saying, like, it's not wrong for her to remarry, it's wrong that she was not actually given a legitimate divorce. You just kicked her out. You just abandoned her in that case. And so she was going to have to be forced to remarry. She was going to have to be forced into the arms of someone else. That's what he's saying here is that if it wasn't for these cases, like all these other cases that you guys are teaching are illegitimate. You are just kicking your wives out of the house for illegitimate reasons. And so he's saying that second marriage, I mean, she should still be married to you at that point. What he's saying. And he's saying, unless it's because of unfaithfulness here, you are forcing her into that situation. And who does Jesus then blame for that? Blames the husband, right? Blames the man here. So Jesus essentially just flipped the whole paradigm on its head. He says, Really, like, look at what you were doing. I'm you who have the power and you've created the system. Look at the, the victims you're creating. Look at how you are putting these women in these vulnerable situations. 
just because of your desires to move on to the next thing or the next thing or, or your unwillingness to be patient and gentle with all of these different things. And so Jesus is saying, you're actually the one at fault here by sending them away. And Jesus completely turns the table on them. And I think this is really important for us to understand because then as Jesus unpacks this, and it sounds really strict and really serious, we see here that Jesus, he's bringing justice, right? He's being strict because he really wants us to take this seriously. He really wants us to take this as a justice issue, as something that is leading these women to very vulnerable, painful situations. And this is what Jesus is referring to. And one of the reasons he was so strict on this issue, one of the reasons he came down so hard, was the biblical picture of marriage in general. And if you still are open to Matthew, kind of Matthew 19, Jesus' reasoning in verse 4 shows us that lesson. And so in verse 4 of Matthew 19, Jesus said this when he had first responded to them. He says, Haven't you read that at the beginning the Creator made them male and female and said, For this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. So Jesus is coming down so strict, and Jesus cares so much about this. Because he's saying that from the very beginning, God was doing something different with marriage. God was doing something very important here. That marriage was not just a social contract so they could watch one another's back, and it wasn't just about real estate rights, as like I just read some modern commentators think. But Jesus is saying, no, this predates real estate rights. But he's saying that here, God's intention was to take his creation and to unite them in a frankly spiritual, mystical, divine union that we as humans don't actually have a way to separate. That two people who enter this covenant, they become something new, something that they were not before. And I know um, for some of you in this room, um, you might not be a Christian sitting here, and this kind of sounds crazy. And I recognize that. I recognize that. But Jesus here, in referring to creation, I just want to point out the fact that Jesus is saying there's an inescapability to this. His reasoning, as referring back to creation, is that this is just kind of a rule that applies to any people who were created. If you're one of those people who falls into the category of created beings, yeah, this kind of applies to you. So what he's saying is that to ignore this is kind of like ignoring the law of gravity. This is just the way God has made it. And to ignore this and to ignore the significance, you're actually going to be putting yourself and others in very dangerous, very painful situations. If you were to ignore the reality of this. He's saying recognize the danger here. So Jesus looks at these rabbis, these religious leaders, these Pharisees, sees what they're doing, sees what they're teaching others to do. And I think he was angry. And I think there's anger in the succinctness of Jesus only speaking two verses here. Just very clear. This is what I think. He flips their entire heart out. So that's Jesus' teaching. Now I want to take a step back. And consider, what does this mean for us then, practically? What does this mean for us? And I think, for the single, for the unmarried in here, I want us to see, in Jesus' teaching on divorce, the seriousness that he approaches marriage with. I want you to hear the warning in Jesus' words. 
I want you to choose wisely who you would marry, okay? And understand to be aware of the fact that choosing to get married is choosing to fully join yourself to this other person, right? In sickness and health until death do you part. Those words are meaningful to God. And I want you to have this kind of seriousness. You see, in Matthew 19, after Jesus taught through all this, his disciples who heard him speak to the Pharisees, um, they responded in verse 10. The disciples said to him, if this is the situation between a husband and a wife, it is better not to marry. <laughs> and so for those of you in the room who are not married, hear that. Hear the disciples grasping the seriousness of this, right? They hear Jesus teach about how marriage is supposed to be lifelong, and they're like, hey, I'd rather just avoid that situation altogether. I mean, what if she has a turnip head? I mean, I don't want none of that, you know? Honestly, they were not wrong. Recognize that you are entering into a relationship with someone who is the image of God, and you cannot just send them out. Send them away willy-nilly. And so, I would say, if you were single, to stop to take a look at how you are moving towards marriage. Maybe if you have a boyfriend, a girlfriend, a fiancé, stop and consider. Is this person entering into it seriousness? Is this person recognizing and grasping the lifelong permanence that God is teaching? Right? Understand what you are walking into. Understand it. Because honestly, the lifelong part is actually the easy thing. Um, if you keep reading the Bible, um, you'll get to places like Ephesians chapter 5. God's expectations for marriage. And there Paul tells wives to submit to their husbands in all things. And then he tells the husband to be willing and ready and actively seek to die for their wives. Okay? And so the lifelong part is kind of the easy part. Right? It's daily submission. It's daily dying. That is the hard part. And so for the single people here, recognize the seriousness. Recognize that. I promise this isn't part of like my wedding day sermons when I officiate weddings. Right? That's why we get it out of the way here, um, so that on the day of the wedding it can be a happy day, right? Simon, I didn't. All right, your wedding was happy and fun, right? Okay, good. To the married people in the room, okay. Next category for us. I want all of us to see this as a call to work. It's a call to work, and I think forever has to be the assumption. I think forever has to be the assumption because it shapes and changes the entire conversation. Whenever anything goes wrong, whenever problems come up in our relationships, we have to approach it from the perspective that this is going to be for life, this is going to be forever. And so we begin all of those conversations with the word how, not the word if, right? So no matter what comes, we say, how are we going to get through this? How are we going to fix this? How are we going to deal with this? What is it going to look like on the other side? But that's where the conversation has to begin. It has to begin with the assumption, with the presupposition of forever, for life. Because I think all too often the assumption is if, right? Like, if he does this, if she does this, if she would just understand, if he would just stop doing this, if we could figure this out, then things will be good. And I think that is an unhealthy and a dangerous place to begin any conversation. I think we have to have the assumption of forever. Because Jesus tells us, that this marriage covenant is where God takes us individuals and makes us one flesh. And that's a powerful image to talk about. I talked about it a, a bit last week with the analogy that if you're truly understanding the image is joining together as one flesh, 
if there is a part of your flesh, a part of your body that has a problem, um, if I, as an old man, think I can pitch a lot in my amateur baseball league without having arm pain, I'm mistaken. But so if I go to the doctor and say, hey, my arm hurts because um, I went a little, I pitched a little too long this last week, and he says, that's fine, we can just take it right off for you. Um, I'm probably going to seek another opinion, right? I'm probably going to seek alternative treatments because I would do anything and everything I can recognizing this is part of my body to keep that connected to me, to see this not as a problem with something else, but this is a pain that I want to continue to seek treatment and I'll do anything and everything I can to keep the function of my arm, right? And if we truly understand the picture that God gives of marriage here of joining together one flesh, then I think we would understand that there are very few situations when actually it would be better to cut it off, right? That we would view our spouse as our own body. And so their problems are not a problem with them, a problem with other. Maybe we just need to cut it away. But that is a problem with us and our body. And that is an issue that we are connected to that person through, right? It's far easier to cut off someone else's arm than our own. And so, for the married in this room, see this as a call to work, with the assumption this is forever. To those in the room who are divorced, I know that this really hasn't been your favorite message ever, and honestly, I'm sorry for that. Um, Because I know that you've endured enough wounds already. And I want to say, for those of you who are divorced, to acknowledge those wounds. Because I think it's only those wounds that get acknowledged that get healed. The wounds that we bring to God. But some of you in this room have gone through this and have seen God and his healing power work in incredible ways. And you have stories that I wish I could tell to everyone of God's healing power in your lives. Of God healing these deep incredible wounds. But nonetheless, we just have to recognize that I know that you're going to carry a lot of that still um, forever. And honestly, as painful as it might sound, I think that kind of um, is by God's design. Because I know just how painful and how hard it is that you have often walked into every single room as that divorced person, right? Um, Walked into every church, walked into every work meeting, And part of that, I think, is just shows how people can easily put judgment on us and the self-righteousness of other people. But I think a lot of it also is the way that God has designed things to be. Um, He's shown the very real consequences of when these relationships, when these marriages fall apart. And so these are things that probably you might carry forever. And even when the divorce is legitimate, even when divorces are for good reasons, even when divorce brings freedom from an abusive situation, even when divorce is for these reasons that Jesus said is okay, it's still something that you'll carry with you. And we know that. I believe that Jesus heals those wounds, but I do know that a lot of the times those wounds will still harden into scars. And those scars, the funny thing is, God doesn't always take away those scars, does he? Right? But grace does not remove scars, and I do think that's on purpose and intentional. Because if grace were to remove all the scars, I think we would forget the pain. 
We would forget the pain of the sin that we have done. We would forget the pain of the sin that was done to us. And we would forget the grace, the healing, the work that Jesus has lavished on us. And so grace, when it comes to the healing of these wounds, I don't think it gives amnesia to the point that we forget about all these things. But I think it transforms them. I think these scars, instead of just being reminders of the pain, they can be reminders of God's grace, reminders of the healing of the Holy Spirit. As we looked at Jesus' resurrected body, for some reason he still had those scars. But those scars were exactly what people like Thomas needed to believe in his goodness. And those scars were transformed into agents of his grace. It multiplied the grace. It displayed his grace to everyone. And I think that grace is for you. I think that grace is for you to see those scars, to see that pain as a reminder of his goodness, as a reminder of his healing. And I know in light of that, I've felt a certain tension with this message of really wanting to express to the single people in this room the seriousness of marriage and the permanence and the pain and the damage that it can cause um, to, to do that but at the same time to really emphasize the grace and the healing and the new life that Jesus can bring to those who have gone through divorce. And I've kind of felt a tension there um, because at one, in one sense, I really want a single people to take this seriously, to consider it. And so at times I've almost been tempted to be like, oh, well, I won't lean into the grace too hard that much. But at the same time, then as I look at that, I just see God's grace as being so never-ending, as being so amazing that I can't ease up on that. And so we kind of have this tension. Um, and that's kind of the beauty of the gospel, I think. We take it so seriously, and we take it as such a strong warning, even though there's grace and forgiveness. Even though there's grace and forgiveness. And essentially, that's kind of the gospel, right? It's extravagant grace, but yet it was Jesus dying on the cross in this painful, horrible situation. Tim and Kathy Keller, in their book, The Meaning of Marriage, they wrote this. They say the reason that marriage is so painful and yet so wonderful is because it is a reflection of the gospel, which is painful and wonderful at once. The gospel is this. We are more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we ever dared believe, yet at the very same time we are more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ than we ever dared hope. This is the only kind of relationship that will really transform us. <clears throat> Love without truth is sentimentality. It supports and affirms, but keeps us in denial about our flaws. And truth without love is harshness. It gives us information, but in such a way that we cannot really hear it. God's saving love in Christ, however, is marked by both radical truthfulness about who we are, and yet also radical, unconditional commitment to us. The merciful commitment strengthens us to see the truth about ourselves and repent. The conviction and repentance moves us to cling to and to rest in God's mercy and grace. And really, that's the hope, I think, for all of us in this room today. To rest in the grace and mercy of God, no matter where we are in this marriage spectrum. That our hope that we have is that Jesus was wounded on our behalf. And he's the one who's so faithful to us. Even though often we're the ones 
committing adultery. We're the ones running around on him. He went to the cross to make a way for us to be together forever. And so our only hope, really, is God's faithfulness. And in the gospel, it's something that we have. God is faithful to us. And so, to the unmarried in the room, consider the everlasting and unconditional faithfulness of God. I really want you to hear that, because that is the model for us as we enter into marriage. God's everlasting, unconditional faithfulness. And so if you're looking forward into marriage, and you're thinking, okay, um, but if they do this, if they do that, just remember the unfailing love of God. The eternal, unrelenting faithfulness of Him. Consider His faithfulness to you, and recognize that is what He is calling you to. To the married, um, I want you to consider just mercy upon mercy, forgiveness upon forgiveness, just the patience that Jesus has lavished on us, and lavish that on your spouse. Consider the mindset of Christ, as it says in Philippians chapter 2. Jesus is patient and gentle with you, so be that way with your spouse. And to the divorce, no matter the details of your life, I want you to hear that God's unrelenting love and grace and healing and forgiveness is yours. It's yours. And I can confidently stand up here and say that no matter the detail of your life, I don't even have to hear the story or the specifics. There's not an asterisk or a caveat that disqualifies you from that. I can say with full confidence that Jesus paid for all of that on the cross. And that his grace and his love is better. And it's for you. It's for you. And so, this is the way of Jesus for us. And I invite you into the way of Jesus, um, no matter where you're at today. Because no matter what is going on in your life, I truly see here God's faithfulness for us. And that's the model for which we walk into marriage. That's the model for which he sustains our marriage. That's the model for which he heals us of the wounds and the hurts that we've experienced. That's God's faithfulness to us. And today, we're going to approach the table of communion. And as we do that, let me remind you that communion is part of the covenant meal, right? Just as marriage ceremonies are done to legitimate the covenant of marriage, um, it's part of the legal action of joining two together. Jesus said that this meal, this was the legitimation of the new covenant. This is the ceremony between us and God, between his people. And that in the process of walking down this aisle, you're making a lifelong commitment to Jesus. And so this is open to anyone and everyone who has made that commitment to Jesus. Recognize the seriousness of this, of what it represents. This lifelong covenant and commitment to Jesus Christ, our Lord. Because Jesus said in John chapter 6, Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise them up at the last day. For my flesh is real food and my blood is real drink. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me and I in them. And just as the living Father sent me and I live because of the Father, so the one who feeds on me will live because of him. And so I'm going to invite the worship team back up. And I'm going to invite you to come forward. Um, As you come forward, as you take the cup, uh, return to your seat, and then we are going to take this together.
first song, I would just encourage you to come and grab the communion and then return to your seat. And we'll have two songs, so we won't skip you. Come to the water, all who are thirsty. Come and drink. Come to the table, all who are hungry. Come and feast. We're going to sing that again. Come to water, all who are thirsty. Come and drink.
Passover. He took bread, he gave thanks for it, and he broke it, saying, This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's eat this together. And in the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. Drink this in remembrance of me. So, Father God, we thank you for your faithfulness to us. Thank you for your grace upon grace, your mercy, your patience for us. And will you empower us to have your mindset, to treat others as you have treated us. So, God, now we just turn to you in praise and worship. It's our desire to praise you in this moment. So in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
church as you go would you go with the words of lamentations chapter 3 where it says that i remember my affliction and my wandering the bitterness and the gall i well remember them and my soul is downcast within me yet this i call to mind and therefore i have hope because of the lord's great love we are not consumed for his compassions never fail they are new every morning and great is his faithfulness so common ground church grace and peace Have a wonderful week.